Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. All right. All I do is win week number three, the book of Revelation. Uh, l- let me start by telling you when a-, a story about Lisa and I when we first got married. When we were first married, we were like a lot of young married couples, which we have uh, here in this congregation, and we didn't have a lot of money. In fact, we still don't have a lot of money, but I would just say we had less money when we were first married. We were living in Albuquerque, and Lisa's car, for all intents and purposes, it was a boat on wheels, okay? She had a big car that was very comfy, uh, and you could like, it would go most places except except when you really wanted it to go from point A to point B, okay? When you didn't want it to. Anyways, you, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, and in this car, uh, whenever I was driving, the car got a flat tire, and when you don't have a lot of money and you're newly married, you can't even afford a real tire for your car. This is the situation we're in, okay? Now, you know what I'm saying. If you don't know what I'm saying, thank the Lord you don't know what I'm saying. For the rest of you, you know what I mean, that I would like look at the prices of one tire, and everybody advises you, don't buy one, buy four. Replace all your tires. And I go, I know, I'm actually going to drive this thing into the ground. So when this one is fixed, I know another one's going to go out. I got to do this one at a time because I don't have money, right? So this is the kind of cycle we're in. And, and the, the tire blew, and I couldn't afford a real tire, a new tire. So I go to this place sketchy tire place, okay? I'm not going to say the name of it in case some of you are related to the person who owns this tire place because um, it's, it's his name, then Tire Shop. And I go, it's a very sketchy area of Albuquerque. And I'm going, well, I, I've heard that the prices are lower here, okay? And I look and I'm thinking like, our lunch dates are cheaper, are, are, yeah, our lunch dates are more expensive than this tire, right? Like these tires are very cheap. So I asked him, I said, hey, is this a real tire? And they go, yeah, it's a real tire. And I go, okay, is it a new tire? And they said, yeah, it's a new tire. It's not retread? No, it's not retread. Okay, well, if it's new and it's real, it's just cheap. I don't know if it was stolen or what, but I just, if you can put it on my car, does it include putting on the car or, and they go, yeah, it includes that. Great, and they were done like this, like on the car like that, and I'm out of there. And, and by the way, like one, one word of advice, if you can only pay cash, okay, at a tire shop, don't buy the tire. <laughs> but I could, and I paid for it, I think, with $30 or less, okay? So I paid for the tire. I'm driving down. It's not the freeway, but it was close to the freeway, going about 50 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving a car, uh, this, this boat, as I'm driving, I start to see, now I want you to think of a situation where you're like, I don't have a reference point for what's happening. I start to see pieces of fiberglass flying up in the windshield. So I'm, I'm seeing the car. The only reference point I had was transformers. Like my car could be turning into a transformer. If it's not, I don't know what else is happening. And fiberglass is flying up. It obviously didn't turn into a transformer. But I, I'm driving and I steer off to the side of the road and I'm sitting there going, what, in what world does my car just break apart? And I get out, and I look, 
And it was a retread tire, and the tread had come off and just was tearing up all the front end of my car. And I was going, they lied to me. And then when I called, they go, we never told you it wasn't a retread. And I'm going, oh, okay, all right. We're going to play this game. But I did pay with cash, and there's no paper trail. I know why they do what they do, right? So the car is destroyed. My fault. It's totally my fault. I made a mess of the situation because I didn't choose to do it the right way. And, and to the people in uh, the congregation tonight, to those of you who would say, I've made a mess in my life, not from outside circumstances, okay? It's, it's, you are responsible for the mess you've made. That's who I want to talk to tonight. So if you're not responsible for any mess in your life, you can pray for us because the rest of us are going to talk about when we make a mess, when we create a problem, maybe we cut a shortcut and, we, and everything just kind of blew up. Or maybe we didn't listen to advice. Like you intentionally ignored the phone call because you know what was going to be said on the other end. Even the conscience in your head, you're going, I know I wasn't supposed to. I, like that was a bad decision. And you did it anyways. And you made a complete mess. Whatever area that would be in, the mess that you created in your life that is your fault, let's just, let's just all together be able to say, you don't have to say it out loud, I'm not going to make you do that, but let's be able to acknowledge we've made messes in our lives, right? We've created crisis in our lives. And when we do that, it's super frustrating. It's hard to be honest. It's hard not to lie about the situation. It's hard to be vulnerable. And the mess just keeps going. And what I would like to say, here's the good news on all this, okay? The mess that draws us all together is the mess that God draws near to. You need to know that. The mess, the common ground that we all have when we say things like, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect. We say these general enough statements to acknowledge, yeah, we're not perfect, but we're not going to be specific. We're not going to tell you exactly what we did. The mess that brings us all together is the mess that God draws near to. And he's always done this, by the way, okay? God's always done this. Think about in the beginning when, it was, when the earth was void and without form, mess, chaos. So whatever you think about the creation story, you can acknowledge the writer said it was a mess and the Spirit of the Lord hovers over it and creates form drawn into the mess. And then you could even continue throughout the story, um, and we'll get to like the major part of the story right now, whenever God, whenever the world is in a complete mess and everyone's trying to reach out, who is God? And they're worshiping different gods and they're not quite sure. And people are dying for things they shouldn't be dying for. And people are living for things they shouldn't be living for. And then God reveals himself in Jesus, right? That's why we say the words Jesus looking God here, because your God will look like something or someone. And uh, we believe that God revealed himself fully in Jesus Christ. And, and so there's a mess, and Jesus comes into the mess. Doesn't stay out of it, he comes into it. Even the way he calls his disciples, calls a tax collector. There is not much more of a messy life in so many people's eyes than a tax collector, okay? And he calls a tax collector, and he, he draws him, and he's drawn to the mess. Even Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's responsible for so many letters in the New Testament, Paul was killing Christians, creating a mess after mess after mess. He's creating the mess, okay? And Jesus is drawn to him. The mess that draws us all together is the mess 
that draws God. Okay? This is, this is true throughout the scriptures. In fact, this can be true and happens to be true in the book of Revelation at a church-wide level. When churches get messy, not just when people, but when churches get messy. Now, here's, here's what I want to acknowledge. I actually know right now, in the sound of my voice, there are people who do not like the word church. They say, I despise the word church. It's a religious term. There's been a lot of harm that's been done. You would prefer something like faith community, or maybe that's hard for you, but we're going to say there's seven faith communities in the book of Revelation, okay, and you don't like the word church. Well, here's why. Someone made a mess of it. Someone unpackaged church in a way that wasn't pretty, and it wasn't helpful, and it just created a mess in your life. The church is made up of people. Discover church is not an entity that exists outside of you, okay? Church does not exist outside of people. It only exists when people are coming together to acknowledge we believe in God and we believe that God revealed himself in Jesus. Really, that's the starting point of a church. So the, the old, uh, not him, it's not him, the old saying that says, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and... Yeah, somebody went to Sunday school, right? See all the people, okay. The, the real way to say that would be, here's the building, Here's the architectural expression of the building. Open the doors and see the church. Would be the real way to say that. So in the book of Revelation, when there are seven churches, five of which are unfaithful and created massive messes, they created the mess. It's not an organization that created the mess. It's a people within the church that are very messy people that Jesus is drawn to these people. You follow me? He's drawn to them to give word to them and to tell them something. Because the mess that brings us all together is the mess that draws God near. And they're drawn to it. Now here, but here's the problem with all this. And here's the problem with us because we're people that are part of a church. And you go, I'm not part of this church. Well, you're sitting here. So we, we welcome you. And, and just be part of it for the next few minutes. The problem is when we experience crisis, we don't respond the same way God responds. God responds to mess by going in. Right? I'm here to save. That's how God responds. We respond to crisis by pulling out, by avoiding. We don't want anything to do with it. So here's what I want to focus on tonight. Crisis should always result in a deeper commitment to God. Crisis in your life, and this is what Jesus said when he went to the messy churches of Revelation, actually of Asia Minor, the seven churches. This is what he's getting at. Crisis should always result in a deeper commitment to God. You want to hear something interesting? At Doubters Club, which is where we just have different belief systems come together, and it's moderated by an atheist and a Christian. Doubters Club was today. And uh, today at the coffee shop, we're talking about what would change your mind from the way that you believe? What would be the thing? And and there was an atheist. He was a new atheist in there, and, and he said this. Catastrophe would change my mind. If I experienced personal catastrophe, if I experienced crisis, it would change my mind. To which I would say was probably the most honest answer of the afternoon. Crisis. He acknowledged something that even Christians won't acknowledge. Crisis should draw you deeper into commitment with God, not away. Why? Well, because he draws into you. So if he was scared of your mess, he would pull away. But what he does in the church is 
is he sees what's happening, he goes in, and he gives word, and the word continually will be deeper commitment, deeper commitment, okay? So let's jump into these churches. Remember, John is having this revelation, and Jesus is speaking from behind him as the priest that's over each church. He's over each lampstand, and the lampstands were in the temple are representing the church, and the whole earth is God's temple at this point in the book of Revelation. This is what he said in chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to jump through this, give a summary, and then you'll see where we're going. To the angel, which by the way, angel we know means messenger. We're not quite sure. Commentators aren't sure if it means literal angel, if it means the pastor, if it means the overseers. But what we know is to the messenger, to the angel in the church of Ephesus, write, for John to write, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found, and, and are not, and found them to be false. So you're going, yeah, we got it. And then it says this, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. He continues and continues. And then he says, to the one who, uh, I'm sorry, then he says this, let him who hears what the Spirit says to the churches, he who has an ear, let him hear. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he's saying, he's acknowledging, there's a crisis. There's a crisis. Remember your first love. And so this is how we're going to categorize this church in Ephesus, okay? Fundamentalists in Ephesus, all head, no heart. That's how we'd categorize them, okay? All head, no heart. There's a Bohemian reformer, John Huss, who John was um, known for actually going around and speaking of the authority of God and the authority of the Scriptures. Well, he was burned at the stake for doing this, and this is what he said. His last words recorded were what I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. How powerful is that? What I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. He knows what's up here should express itself out here. What the church in Ephesus was doing was we got a lot of head knowledge. We don't do anything. We don't do anything. They've forsaken their first love. Okay, let's keep going. This is the next church. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Okay, so like pause. If, if we receive the letter of the church in Ephesus, and they're talking about these Jews. Now, this isn't the church that's the synagogue of Satan. There's Jew, people who are pretending to be Jews. I would go, hey guys, at least we're not... At least we're not the synagogue of Satan. But they're saying there are people who are pretending, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil who is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation, which is interesting. They would, in apocalyptic literature, which is very image heavy, ten is as many fingers as you have. So what they're saying is for a lasting time you're going to be in prison, in tribulation, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is one of the two faithful churches. Persecuted in Smyrna, faithful no matter what. Let's categorize them that way. Faithful no matter what, okay? To the angel of the church in Pergamum, 
Here we go. I write, uh, write, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So, anyways, okay. Yet you hold fast my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antip- uh, Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells, but I have a few things against you. Notice, he's drawn to the mess. He's drawn to it and he's giving word. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual morality. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now let me tell you something real quick about uh, Pergamum. This is, a, this is a city, this is a place where the social elite would climb the ladder by, by being more and more evil, okay? They're facing this pressure. At this time when this is written, we don't think they're actually giving in to it, but we think their doctrine is so screwed up that they're not sure where their bearings are, and they're facing this pressure. And one of the ways you would get into, let's just call it the social club, Okay? The social party that Pergamum was putting on was you would have a white stone and they would write your name on it and that would be your ticket in. That's your party ticket, okay? so to speak. It's a white stone. What Jesus is saying is your identity, don't let it be found in the deeds out there. I will give you an identity, you and me, party in heaven. I don't know how else to put it. Okay, You and me, this party time, I have a name for you that is a name that no one else will know because the only status that matters is the status between you and I, okay? So this is how we'll categorize this. Apostate in Pergamum, good deeds, bad doctrine. To the angel in the church in Thyatira, right? I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who's a representation of seducing the government seducing the people of God to practice not just sexual morality in general, but specifically acts that are against the will of God, like a, like a seductress that the government is drawing them in. Remember, anytime the church and government get in bed together, it produces beastly things. This comes later on in Revelation. So then he goes on to say, um, if you have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to categorize this in, as progressive in Thyatira, more tolerant than God. Okay? They're being more tolerant. They're saying, well, it's just the way things are. We've progressed to this place. And they're ignoring any sort of standard that God would have for their life and for them as a church. Now remember, if you go, man, they're horrible. They're made up of people. And people have messes. And when people's messes start to intermingle with one another and they start to cooperate and their mission becomes that, Jesus doesn't avoid. He steps in and he's calling them to get more committed. And to the angel in the church in Sardis, right? I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Okay. Okay. You have a reputation. So this is saying like, I'm going to put this in modern day terms. You have a reputation of being like an active, cool, hip church. 
You're bumping. You're alive, okay? But you're dead. <laughs> like you're, there's actually nothing that you're giving life to. Wake up. So Jesus says to the people, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Okay? Let's keep going. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will uh, never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, because part of what happens with compromise is we stop confessing Jesus and we start confessing something else. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's how we would um, categorize them. They're dead. They stopped caring or trying. They just stopped. Okay? Last one. Or two more. And to the angel in the church in Philadelphia, I write, I know your works. Behold, I have set before, and goes on and on and on and on. This is the other, the second faithful church. Here's how we'll categorize the church in Philadelphia. Missional in Philadelphia. Don't give up or give in. He actually acknowledges you are a small group of people who can conquer and do much. Okay? Don't give up or give in. And to the angel in the church in Laodicea, write, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Two different pools in the area. One was used for medicinal purposes. One was used to relax. You're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. He says, I will spit you out. I'll spit you out because you're not choosing. You're not choosing. And he says, again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit at my throne. Lukewarm in Laodicea, comfort and convenience before Christ. Okay? That's the categories of the churches. Those are the messes of the people. I want to, I want to read, or I just want to, let's, let's go back to the first one. Let's go back to the one, the angel in the church of Ephesus. Okay? We talk about uh, that this one is all head, no heart. Okay? Let's talk about this. All head, no heart. Jesus is saying something directly to the situation all head means I know what to do. I know kind of even how to do it. No heart means I don't even have affection to do it. I don't even have a desire. My, my heart's not stirred for this thing, okay? And so what do we do when, when, we face, when we face a situation personally where people are not participating in our affection, right? They're not, let me put it this way, when people don't like the things we like and don't do the things we do, we leave. We avoid. That's not what Jesus does. He pushes in. And he calls them in their crisis to go deeper into a commitment with him. Repent and remember where you were before you had fallen. The distance between the head and the heart. Remember, there's a distance. And I need this to beat again to the people in Ephesus. But what we do is when people don't have the same affection as us, we don't respond like Jesus. We go our crisis mode. We go avoid. I want, I want nothing to do with you um, because you don't like the things I like. And I'm going to pick people who like the things I like. And I'm not even going to bring up the difference. Before we lived in the house that we live in now, we were in a townhome. 
and the townhome, the, the owner of the townhome said, you can't have any pets, which was great. Because <laughs> that's the excuse, you know, when Piper and Brendan are like, can we have a dog? Now, most days I wanted a dog until I have a dog. But like, these are the romanticized days. But we would be able to say, no, sorry, Barry said you can't have any pets. And they're like, oh, Barry, you know. <laughs> so Barry would come over to fix the air conditioner and, and they're like, is that Barry? Yeah, but don't get mad at Barry. He's fixing the AC, but yeah, he doesn't let us have pets, huh? Barry, you know? So all this, all this going on, that we're like, Barry doesn't same the, share the same affection as us, you know? We didn't have that kind of talk. It was this kind of talk. Barry doesn't like dogs. I don't know what's wrong with him. One day we'll have our own house. Well, we thought that day was further along until a miracle happened, and people actually were, helped us get a home, and this was the criteria. They said, but here's the deal. The new owners have to let, I'm not kidding when I say this was the criteria of them helping us. The new owners have to let their kids get a dog. And I'm going, oh, where's Barry? Barry, we need you to buy a house, you know? But that's what we do. Someone doesn't like our rules. They don't like our affections. They don't like what we do. We just avoid. Let's move homes. Let's go somewhere else. That's just how we live. You imagine what it would be like if the crisis that you had in your life was not, um, wasn't moving you away from God, but was moving you towards God. If we've been looking in the past for the last few minutes as like, okay, what is the crisis in your life? What if you were to look forward and you were to say, okay, here's the mess I've made. You just acknowledge. So right now, think of one, some of you, you're like, I'm a messy person. Think of one mess that you've created, self-inflicted, not from outside sources, self-inflicted. Because these churches were made up of people who created these environments. The people participated in, these, in this self-inflicted nonsense, this stuff. And Jesus comes and says, I have a word, and I want you to imagine what would it be like if you stopped avoiding God? If you stopped avoiding the person or the people and you leaned in to God, what would it be like if you just said, I acknowledge there's a crisis and I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean in to God because he's not running away from me, right? In fact, what you can see in all seven churches, those who have an ear to hear, let them hear, and you will conquer, and then he gives a, a contextual, a relevant contextual way that they're going to conquer. Well, he, he who has an ear, let him hear. This is acknowledged. There's a crisis. Jesus will make this known to you. Crisis. There's a crisis. God doesn't sit back. He's not the grandpa God where he sits back and he goes, I don't know, eat as much candy as you want. You're going to mom and dad tonight, you know? Like, this is not, this is not the God of the universe. He's a father. He's a good father. He acknowledges, hey, there's a mess. There's a crisis. He acknowledges those who have ears to hear to all seven churches, even the faithful ones. Ears to hear, let them hear. Let them hear what's happening, okay? But then they can conquer. The, the word used for conquer is a, is a, it's a word that is used throughout Roman regimes, and it is used as of committed people who are listening to what the king has to say. Now, what you'll find is, is the Apostle John is writing this way about Jesus being king all throughout. But he's really starting here that there's conquering happening. Well, you don't conquer in a war 
by being uncommitted and flaky, do you? I mean, if you, if you were in a war, if you're in a battle and like one bullet whizzes past you or you're like old school and you got a sword and someone tries to jab and it misses you and you go, I'm out. This is super scary. I'm out of here. You will never conquer. You'll be called a traitor and you won't even participate in the victory that's about to take place, right? What he's saying is if those who have ears to hear, let them hear. There's a crisis in everyone's life. Get more committed to God, not less committed to God. Get more committed, not less committed. Conquer, don't run. What we tend to think is when we create a mess in our lives, God doesn't want us to be part of the army. God doesn't want us to be part of the mission. He says the complete opposite. Hear, listen, crisis is going on. Messes are happening. Conquer, stay committed. In fact, I'll I'll say this. This will be a bold statement, but I think it's true. Whatever is right now the mess in your life, because churches are made of people and people created these messes, whatever the mess is in your life right now, I am completely sure if it's self-inflicted, and we're not talking about outside sources, self-inflicted, that it could have been avoided had you stay committed to what God had to say throughout the process. Self-inflicted messes, problems. I mean, if you want to talk about, we could go through all these things of compromise. We can talk about forsaking your first love. We can talk about having uh, good deeds but bad doctrine, not caring about doctrine and how that results in compromise. We can talk about all these things. All those can be avoided. If you stay committed in the midst of your crisis, you cannot pray yourself out of a situation that you behaved yourself into. Okay? You can't. I don't ever see it in Scripture. But you can follow God as He leads you away from it. It took action to get into it. It takes action to get out of it. And I would say, although... Jesus would have something to say about the crisis. Notice, he's not casting them away. He's telling them, turn back. This is what repent means, turn back. So you can't pray yourself out of something you acted your way into, but you can follow him out of it. This is why he says time and time and time again, repent, turn back, follow me. Turn back, follow me. You get it? Crisis should always result and a deeper commitment to God where you follow him, not where you forsake him. Why? Because the mess that brings us all together is the mess that Jesus is drawn to. He's there. He's not leaving. We're the ones who abandon. Okay? We're going to respond. Can we have the worship team come up? We're going to go ahead and respond. And... uh, Whenever, you know, I, I don't play the guitar. I mean, if you've seen me try, you would know why I don't. Strumming is very hard for me. I don't know why. Uh, but there's a guy that was, his title was the architect of rock and roll. This is the guy who created the Les Paul guitar. This is, uh, Paul was his name. Okay, he created the Les Paul guitar. And, and in 1948, he got in a car wreck that was his fault. And in the car wreck, it, it destroyed his right arm. What they told him in this car wreck, or what the surgeons told him was, there's no way that we could 
fix your arm. You're not going to be able to play the guitar anymore, which would be devastating. If you've ever been told you can't do the thing you were made to do, it's pretty devastating. And so he said, I have an idea. He told the surgeons, I have an idea. Can you mold my arm to where it stays at a less than 90 degree angle so I can at least hold a guitar? Can you do that? To which, you know, what else is going to go wrong? It's shattered, so let's try it. Let's try to, and they did it, and it did. It stayed that way. And he was still somewhat able to play the guitar because he said there's something, there's a crisis. He created this crisis. He got in a car wreck, but he wants to be molded and shaped it in the middle, shaped in the middle of it so that he can do the thing he's called to do. So he's saying, I'm committed to this posture the rest of my life because this is what I'm made for. If the church at large, well, let's not talk church at large because that's not what's being. If the people of the church were to say, I created a crisis, but to the potter, because we're the clay, to the potter, can you mold me in a way that I can't undo myself? I'm just in. I'm forever committed to what you've called me to do. So I'm not telling you things will go back to normal as you commit to God. There may be a new normal. There may be conversations you have to have. There may be ways you need to continually relate to God now. There may be reconciliation you need to pursue. I'm not saying there will be a new normal, but what I am saying is you can tell the potter, okay, I'm the clay. Clay doesn't talk back to potters, right? Like Clay's not like, stop shaping me. They're made to be shaped into whatever vessel they want. And to say, there may be a crisis. Can you mold me in a way that I am totally committed to your plan? Can you do that? Can you fix this in a way that I am totally committed to your plan? Can you have people in my life that help me? It's amazing when you read about the churches, and we'll keep reading about the churches. They were real churches with real messes, and Jesus was really saying something about what they should do. And I think that he says that to us. Okay? So let's stand. Let's respond together. John wrote a song, which the song was great, by the way. I think we would all agree, keep writing music. Okay? The song that he wrote had this line that said, tell me the line specifically, though, where if I... Yeah, you don't walk out when I threaten to. I told John when I, when I heard this song, Lisa was showing me on her phone before he, this week, and when I heard this song, that's my story, was I actually said to God, whenever I wasn't following him, I said, if you're not real, or if you're real and you don't do something right now, I will leave. I'm never coming back. So it was like a very moving lyric for him to put in there. Uh, and it wasn't for me, by the way. That was just, he put that in there. But I'm just saying, I, I know what it is to have Christ continue to pursue me, okay? And I would say to you, you need to know whatever you've created that you look down and you go, it's void and without form. That's the nice way of putting it, okay? This is a disaster. Whatever it is, that Jesus is not even threatening to leave you. He doesn't even threaten to leave you. But he does have something to say because you're like a lampstand, and he's the pastor, he's the priest over the lampstand. He says, I need you to burn brighter, don't go out. If this continues, you'll go out. I'm going to talk to you about burning brighter. Okay? 
So this is how we're going to respond. They're going to have communion in the back. You can take communion. This is when we remember the one who watches over us and takes care of us and his sacrifice. So if you follow Jesus, feel free to take communion. We're also going to worship, but we're also going to respond in two ways. One would be, you're afraid that God would threaten to leave if you were honest with someone or with him. Now, this is weird because you think that God, you know, up here, you know, God knows everything. Yeah, but to, to actually say, here's everything that happened. You're afraid that he would threaten to leave and you would be out of the mission. You're just not part of his plan. It couldn't be further from the truth and that's filled with shame. If that's you, you can move to the side. Just take a step to the side and you say, I, I'm afraid to be honest with God. And, and if you move to the side, we're going to have people from the prayer team that are going to find you and they're going to pray with you. And the other thing would be this. If any of those categories of the churches, if you go, oh, that was me. That category, that was me. I, I feel that. I feel I stopped trying. I don't even care. The words wake up are very convicting to me. If any of those categories, or if you're one of the two that you say, I'm faithful, but man, I, it's trying. Like, I don't even know how much longer I can do this being the church thing. It's trying. Any of those categories, if you say, I fall in one of those categories, I need prayer. Will you move to the side? You just step to the side and say, I would like to pray. If you're on the prayer team, as people are moving to the side, will you find someone to pray with? We're going to respond. And here's what I would ask you. This series means nothing if Jesus doesn't win in your life. It doesn't mean anything because then you're left out of the victory. Please be honest. Please respond honestly tonight. So you can worship, take communion, move to the side for prayer, and we'll close.